On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about daylight saving time. Is it good for you? Is it bad for you? Or is it neutral? There's lots of doctors and scientists and researchers who say daylight saving time causes problems. Does it? We'll talk about that one. We're also going to talk about, well, golfing. Do you, when you golf, do you like playing on really challenging holes? like the 17th at the TPC Sawgrass from the weekend where you got to hit it onto an island. I can assure you, if I had to try and do that and I started yesterday, I'd still be there and there would be an entire bucket of balls or eight buckets of balls in the water by now. But what about you? Lots of other stuff when Don Robertson joins us as well. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Six months ago, almost to the day, when daylight savings was giving us an extra hour of sunlight, but taking, no, giving us an extra hour of sleep, but taking away an hour of our sunlight. We had a professor on from the States who argued that we should get rid of it because it played with our circadian rhythms. And this can be dangerous. We hear people have more heart attacks and more accidents and other things go wrong because of this screwing up of our sleep and everything else like this. Well, today we're going to offer the other side of the story, sort of, I think. Because as you might notice, uh, it's still light out. As I said a moment ago, it's still light out while we're talking right now because we gained an hour of sunlight over the weekend. This, however, as you may have noticed, you may be feeling it, cost us an hour of sleep. So the question is still, should we cancel daylight savings time or not? Dr. Joseph DeConnick is a professor emeritus of psychology at the University of Ottawa. He has been studying sleep for almost 50 years. He joins us now. Dr. DeConnick, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. This is a tricky issue, it seems, because uh, as many people as you talk to, there seem to be almost that many opinions. Um, but let's go right to the, the basics first. I, I, I do believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe that you do not take issue with the idea that when we do daylight savings time, that it does lead to us being messed up our clocks and there are problems that come from daylight saving time, correct? Yes. Uh, but there's one thing I want to, uh, to correct uh, what you just said before, <clears throat> which is that uh, with daylight saving, we gain an hour of daylight. We do not gain an hour of daylight. We move the daylight time uh, towards the evening. So, our body and our biological clock and all this stay uh, receive the same amount of light. It's just that it's moved to to the evening, and that is the culprit. That's the issue. Okay. Right. So, so our bodies okay. are to, are tuned to stay awake as long as or to, we, we choose or we're tuned to stay awake while it's still light out. Yes. Yeah, oh, yes. Well, that, the, the the problem with daylight saving is that it's moving light towards the evening. Which uh, you know it, it, it is very nice now, you know, because we've been deprived of uh, daylight uh, during the, the winter. You know, we go from uh, in June from uh, 15, 16 hours of daylight to uh, to eight hours, eight hours and a half, depending on where you are, in in December. Okay, so that's a condition of living uh, living up north. And it's fairly different from Florida and the southern uh, states because, uh, in our case, you know, because uh, they are further south. So they don't have this, uh, uh, you know, uh, yo-yo of, of light. Okay? Mm. Daylight saving, moving it to the evening is just exacerbating that move 
during the summer towards the evening. And the effect, well, the immediate effect of doing it, like we just did, is we lose an hour of sleep. But that hour of sleep is difficult to recover because now light is later in the evening. So our body clock still thinks it's the evening, so it doesn't put us to sleep, okay? So that's how slowly during the summer and uh, actually in June, uh, we, we, we tend to go to sleep later and later, and kids do that as well. Because, you know, uh, instead of going to, when they go to sleep at 9 o'clock, uh, when they should be going, let's say, uh, or at 9.30, it's still uh, uh, light. And light is very good for you. It's very great. And it's, we enjoy it right now. That's fantastic. And we, we were deprived of it. But it is, it is retarding sleep, okay? So the, the, the main argument of researchers is that we should stick with the notion that uh, the main amount of light that we receive should be at noon so that our biological clock fits with our work time, mm. the activities and so on. So that's, right. that's, that's the big issue. Because even if we move the hour, and again, I don't know if I'm using the right words, but if we move the hour later, so we're having more sunlight into the evening, so we're going to stay up later our society still demands that we wake up at the same time to get to work. So we're st stretching the day at the end of the day, but we're yeah. not stretching yeah. it at the beginning of the day. Yeah. So in the, this morning, for example, those who were used to drive at, at seven o'clock to work, uh, noticed that now it was dark. Okay. Yeah. So the big thing is that in, in, in December, you know, instead in most major cities, the sun rises in, in December with just eight hours. It rises around eight o'clock, so just before or after, depending on where you are in the time zone. And then uh, it, 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 it sets say, at four o'clock or five. We move it, if we were to move it forward systematically in the winter, that means that uh, more people in the morning would wake up uh, uh, in the dark. And uh, the the morning light, contrary to what we may think, morning light is more important than evening light for the uh, um, alignment of of uh, our biological clock with our activities and our responsibilities. So for that, we're talking about in general. You know, some people who have to work at night and so on, and there's uh, jet lighting if you travel. This is another issue. But we talk in general. The main point is that is that if you play with the biological clock, it, uh, it, 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 it ends up with mainly sleep deprivation. And sleep is a common denominator for recovery, uh, for health, uh, uh, mental health, and physical health. So if you play with that and you don't get your seven hours of sleep, which mm. tends to be the case in the summer for, for a lot of people, uh, we call it social jet lag. And uh, actually, it's something that we, we all know in modern society. Most people during the week sleep less uh, than they, they would want to. They use uh, alarm clocks. And in the weekend, they recover, which is fine. It's good to recover. It's, it's better to recover. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Is there more to... Sleep deprivation, I mean, we're tired. We don't feel as good. We're, we're maybe a little lagging or dragging ourselves. But is, does sleep deprivation lead to more things than just feeling a little tired? Are there bigger problems that come with that? Oh, yes. Uh, sleep deprivation, uh, now it's very well documented. Every year we find other 
uh, issues that are associated with even the you know an hour of sleep deficit. Uh, the main, the main, the main one, you know, psychologically, <clears throat> our brain uh, needs to uh, recover our frontal lobe, which makes us make good decisions, feel good, you know, emotionally, and so on. Is very needs a, quite a bit of recovery, and uh, so that's one thing. But in terms of basic health, well, we know that obesity, you know, our uh, uh, appetite, and all this is controlled by hormones that are recovered during sleep. Uh, we're talking about COVID-19 these days. Well, our immune system is recovering during sleep. So if you have less sleep, actually, it's a good thing to sleep after you get a, a shot uh, for any kind of uh, virus. So that's the case now. So all of this is there. And uh, cardiac, uh, cardiac functions are really important uh, with respect to sleep because the heart needs to recover during sleep. So the minute that you chip out of it, you you are you become subject to more issues, and in the long run, if you don't get your seven hours sleep, in general, you know, researchers have expressed themselves very clearly that you you reduce your life expectancy. So, you know, uh, modern society has found so many enemies <laughs> or or you know competition in the evening with uh, you know internet and all this we know that and especially for adolescents who need a lot of sleep to for their brain to develop and so for them to feel better and make decision and develop their judgment well they're 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 more affected by any kind of uh, of loss of sleep so that's why when we come to daylight saving we can't afford the the issue that's our opinion that you can't afford this additional uh, competition with sleep that comes during the summer because we, you know, already we already have light quite a bit in the summer. You know, it's 15 mm-hmm. hours. So we're still trying. So people, ah, oh, we want to go a little later and later. It's 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 it, it's it sounds good. I mean, you, you can't you can't blame people for wanting that, but we have to pay back. Uh, in the fall. And, uh, okay, so which one were, would be ideal then? Which so we've, uh, I think we've got time, three. We've got humans have evolved with uh, from the equator with twelve hours of light, twelve hours. Of light. We're going. We're up north, so we have to adapt to this uh, yo-yo. And uh, but it's very important to keep our biological clock in tune with our activities. So as I just get just the example of uh, the uh, of daylight saving moving in the morning, if we start the light exposure after eight o'clock, eight, nine o'clock, you know, that just gives a sign. It's just as if you were to wake up every morning an hour or two before the time that your biological clock would want it you to would, mm. would want to have you have had the proper amount of sleep so it, it, it it's it's you know there's no other way we, we don't have pills for that we don't have to be able to to have more light in the afternoon it's okay it's, it's not bad we we do want light we're we're made to be exposed to light for 12 hours you know, you know, if we, you know, the our ancestors uh, lived in the equator and they had 12 hours, but they also had 12 hours of, of darkness. So that's the problem. So, so is daylight savings time then okay? We're just setting it to the wrong time. If we could set the clock to a proper time, daylight savings would work better? No, 
daylight saving, you, we just have to stick with the with the just stick the, with the one the, the winter the standard time because the time zones you know where we have the time zones are uh, are synchronized with uh, normally with the with the solar time. Okay, so let's say we're in Ottawa, we're pretty much pretty much in the in the middle of that one hour of time zone. But the problem is that in Ontario and Quebec, when they set it up, they wanted to have Ontario and Quebec completely with the same time zone. A lot of countries are doing that, China and so on. So the problem is that those who are at the left on the left side, you know, in the west, like Thunder Bay, they would if you have uh, if you have daylight saving in the winter, their light would the the sun would rise past nine thirty at nine thirty actually in the morning. So everybody would go to work at the, in the dark and the uh, kids at school. So that we know that kids, if they go to school in the dark, it's not very good. The mood and uh, all kinds of issues come up, you know. So uh, that's why when introduced daylight saving was for saving, uh, uh, you know, energy and so on. And But at the time, they knew they'd have to go back to standard time in the winter because of that issue of uh, of uh, reduced uh, uh, light in the morning because of moving it forward. So that's why we go back. Okay. So as long as, as long as we haven't found a different way of doing things, and we want to have this extended amount of light in the summer, in the evening, we might as well stay with this time change. But then we should prepare people. For example, the, the the time change now in in the spring, you know, the, the the one that's really a problem. We should do it on Friday night so that people have. Nah, time that, to that's yes, that's a great. We got to run. That's a great idea that too. For Ten years, you know, uh, yeah. just doing that, just another day, that would make a big difference on the Sunday. There will be it's a fa- fewer accidents Do- and things like that. Doctor, we got to jump in, but that's a, it's a terrific idea. I don't know why no one's listening to you because that's the best idea I've heard. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Joseph DeKonix, thank you so much for this. Really appreciate the time today. My pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson, who is the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys of ComChoice Realty. Uh, a man whose uh, name and fingerprints are all over a million things in Dundas and who is the 2014 and soon to be 2021 Dundas Citizen of the Year. Sir, how are you tonight? Good, Scott. Very good. How are you? It's nice and bright out. It's, uh, it nice is. We're doing the uh, show during the daylight. It is, although, you know, last hour we had someone on telling us how this is really bad for you. So you're being fooled into a complacent sense of, uh, of that this is good for you. Really, it's it's a horrible thing what's going on right now. The way I've lived the last 40 years, the time change is the least <laughs> of my concerns about what I'm doing bad to myself. <laughs> That's probably true for a lot of people. Yeah, you know what? I never thought, I never thought to ask the doctor that. You know, now compared to this, how bad is, oh, is daylight savings really? And he probably would have just hung up the phone on me. Um, yeah, talk yeah, to the guy okay. that does the, the Coney Island, uh, the Coney Island hot dog. hot dog eating contest, or the guy that's had too much to drink on the dance floor and tries to pull off the Michael Jackson moonwalk. Talk to those guys and see if the time change matters. All right, Donna, I, I don't know that I've ever told this story on the air, and if my friend Craig is listening right now, because we travel with he and his wife, um, forgive me for sharing this story, but several years ago we went on a cruise, and 
there were some people, we went to the karaoke night. We were just sitting watching. We weren't participating. And there were some people who were getting progressively more and more hammered at this karaoke <laughs> night, but they were not singing. They were the first people I've ever seen at karaoke who decided they were going to dance at karaoke, which I'd never seen before. <laughs> they must have been really <laughs> Well, there was the this woman who was... That good. No, and so this couple, they're trying to dance, and they took about four steps at one point and crashed through a table and smashed the table to bits. But then this woman gets up, and she is... I don't know that a human has ever had more alcohol in their system than this woman did. And she starts not necess- not just dancing, but spinning. So she's completely blasted, has her arms out to her side like an eagle, and is spinning. And on she, uh, as predicted by everybody watching, eventually goes down. Unfortunately, she's wearing a skirt, like a, dra- a, a dress <laughs> skirt. Um, she hits the ground and we suddenly to our horror realize she's commando. This skirt has now flipped up almost over her head and she's wearing nothing underneath it, which of course is the first bit of bad news. But the second bit of bad news is when she hit the floor, she lost control of her bladder. So she doesn't know this though, because she's so drunk. So she gets up and starts dancing because she didn't hurt herself and her dress is now soaked and there's a giant, puddle on the floor which the cleaning crew in the middle of karaoke they have to bring the cruise ship cleaning crew in with <laughs> mops and squeegees and everything so it's like you know i don't know that daylight saving time could possibly as you said do anything worse to her than what she did to herself that was my long drawn out unnecessary story but there you go that was um oh that's uh yeah that would make breakfast the next morning awkward she likely had room service brought up well it was, uh, we didn't see her again for the rest of the cruise, either because of the hangover that lasted probably five days or because someone told her what had happened and the mortification was such that she said, yeah, I think I'll just stay in my room. I think it's probably the latter. <laughs> Speaking of mortification of a whole different note, um, did you watch any of the golf tournament on the weekend? I did. So it was the PGA championship for those who did not watch it. And it was played at TPC Sawgrass, which is a, course that is famous for a lot of things but for one particular hole the island green which is pretty much as it sounds it's not quite an island it's more a peninsula but it looks like an island it's just got a little walking path out to it but when you are hitting to it it looks like an island and it to me don i mean i am not a golfer you are a golfer of some renown i am a golfer of just giant disgrace but is that a hole that you would want to play or do you look at it and go, you know what? I just don't need the hassle of just fishing 12 balls out of the water. Well, there's a difference. It's kind of a loaded question. Of course, I'd want to play it, but I wouldn't be fishing 12 out. I might give it two cracks. And if it doesn't work, I'd just say, either give me a six or I'll walk over and throw one on the green. Because for me, unless you're unless I was playing particularly well, even the um, drop area, you still got to hit it onto the island. You get a little yeah. closer. It was only 129 yards, I think, on Saturday. So it's not like it's a long hole, but it's it's an island and particularly intimidating and always fun when the announcers say, well, he got a break there. He landed in the sand. Well, 
I can just imagine my second one being in the sand and heavens knows where the third one would end up because sand play isn't, you know, one of my best parts. And, I, um... uh, but I'd want, I'd want to give it a try, but they, surprisingly enough, there are an inordinate amount of players, and they probably recap it on Sunday, who drop the ball in the water. And it's not a small green, but it's intimidating even for the pros. And you said it's not a long hole. It couldn't be because if it was a long hole and you, that meant you would have had to come in at a low angle, you could never stop the ball. You just couldn't. I mean, it has to be a, a short oh, no. to get the ball up high enough so it's dropping down and sticking to the ground. If you, if you made it a 250-yard hole, nobody could ever put it on the green. You just couldn't. Um, I, I, but you're I right. agree, the, and I think that's why they do it that way, right? Um, but sure, it's an, it's interesting. Even the pros don't get it right. There were a lot of pros that don't get it right. And, and by the way, I saw this this video from a few years ago. They had a tournament for the worst enthusiastic golfer in the United States. And this was from a number of years ago, and they played it there at that course. And one guy shot a 66 on that hole. He put something like 20 balls or 25 balls into the water. Um, I guess you weren't allowed to do the, well, I suppose you could have just putted it all the way up and then putted it up the walking path. And he probably still would have come in at less than 66. But it, I, I see my question was when would you want to do it for me? There's not a lot because I'm so bad at golf. There's not fun in golf when I'm trying to do something that I just know is absolutely impossible and I'm going to fail at no matter what I do. Yeah, but you'd, uh, two comments. One is the guy that got the 25, maybe his plan was, maybe he gets three golf balls and he thought he would actually fill the water and be able to just scoot it across because it wouldn't take a lot more to fill the <laughs> pond. That's true. That's Second true. Just raise ball, the water guys, level so you can skip it over. Guys like you and I are as apt to hit it on as not. And then you'd have tremendous bragging rights. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I suppose there is that. I mean, there are certain holes in golf that I would guess that you would have those kind of bragging rights. There would be that one. There would be the hole in the arena at the Waste Management Open where they have the like 30,000 people watching you when you're allowed to and cheering and everything else. That That one would be... That would be a terrifying hole because I'm quite confident that if I ever played there, I would skull a ball and drive it into someone's head and kill them because that would happen. Um, as I say, it's, it's, it's a would, confidence thing. That would be my fear of even the island hole coming out of the sand and sculling it and braining <laughs> some poor exactly attendee standing there. <laughs> <laughs> and with any kind of luck, it would bounce back on the green, but it wouldn't be good luck for him because it'd be going about 140 miles an hour. And it happens, Don. Like I, you know, this is the thing: is I'm always amazed when you watch PGA tours. And again, when people are able to be on the course and full crowds, and you have these people who will line the the fairway by the tee box and lean in. And it's like yeah. I know these. I know these guys are really, really, really good. But they are human, and there are times when they miss hit a ball. And if they happen to miss hit it while you're extending your head into the line of fire, that's going to sting. It's 
it's as they say, it's going to leave a mark. <laughs> It'll leave a mark. Uh, four years ago, 2017, when Mackenzie Hughes from Dundas played at Augusta in the Masters tournament, I was down there walking the course, covering him, and on the in Amen Corner, which is a famous three holes in in Augusta, coming back when you're finished, coming back the other way, one of the golfers mishit a ball and drove it about three feet off the ground and never got higher than that. And he plunked it right into the forehead of a patron. And that guy dropped like he had been shot with a bazooka. And when he finally sat up, his head looked like a baked potato that you had cut this X in and then squeezed the guy. Like he had been busted open, was bleeding profusely. Now this is the best part of this. He was absolutely delighted when the golfer came up and gave him the ball and a glove that was signed as if that was worth it to get blasted. Now, maybe if it's Tiger Woods and you have a story to tell, but it was like Bobby Schmarcola, who no one ever heard of before. And you've just lost half of them burnt blood in your body. And you're excited that you got a signed glove from this guy. You're not even going to remember that the next day. Cause you're so concussed. Well, he- he probably had a, a, a Titleist tattoo upside down on his melon. Yeah, probably. Anyway. probably. Just go to the tattoo parlor as soon as you're done and get them to tattoo that so you can always show the dimple, the marks, the dimples in your head so people can see where you got knocked. Yeah, I, I could not believe how hard that ball hit that guy. And I did. Now, you know, you laugh because it is, I mean, it did turn out to be kind of funny, but if that had hit him in the eye hole or the mouth or something, he'd die. He would have died. And, and yet people stick their heads in the way and they're happy to be craning their necks to get a better view. And it's like, man, you want to do that? Wear a helmet. I, although I'd like to see that, Don. I'd like to see the first helmet, person helmet show up to a, Yeah, first person to show up to Augusta National wearing a helmet with a full cage <laughs> as a patron. Oh, and Which, that's what they're called in Augusta. Good for you. They're not, yes, yes. They're well, not fans, I know what, they're not customers. They're patrons. They're patrons, yes. It's not too uh, hoity-toity, but that's okay. They're patrons, and so, yes, I would, um, I, I would love to see that person. And then when they ask why, well, I go because last time I was here, I had a ball put through my head at four hundred miles an hour. I, I'm no dummy. Yeah. <laughs> I've well, been eating pablum since, but I'm no dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I would say if he bounced up and was happy with the glove, he was likely on pablum before he got hit. I think it was not Pablum he was on. He probably had a few other things, but anyway. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We have seen over the last week or so, the Leafs play this three-game series with Edmonton. They're the greatest team in the history of the National Hockey League. And since then, they have completely gone into the pooper. Have we seen the Toronto Maple Leafs exposed for not being that good a team, or is this just a really weird cold slump that follows the rest of the season of being fantastic? Well, there's a couple things. Um, I I don't think they've been exposed, other than to the extent, and I've seen it before. I mean, good teams um, have a bit of swagger when they know they're good enough, and they can turn it up a notch. And win games after they're falling behind. I think Toronto were good enough to do that against Winnipeg, but they didn't. And one of the reasons I think they didn't is because I think that they just sometimes feel we're good enough to just show up. And that's the worst trait you can have. They, you can't just show up. You got to say, 
we're going to double down and we're going to outwork them for the rest of the game and we're going to beat them. And that's the lesson they don't seem to have grasped yet. When they fall behind, they, they can't just play the same way they've been playing. They have to ramp it up. And when they do, they're capable of beating anyone probably in the National Hockey League on any given night. But when they fall behind and think that they, we're just going to play the way we have been, clearly that wasn't good enough. And so they haven't learned yet that they have to put the pedal to the metal and crank it up and really go after teams. And, well, you saw what they did last night, if you were watching, against Ottawa. When they really crank it up, they, they can dominate. But if they just play and they get out there lallygagging around and think that that's going to work for them, and they had that fight, I forget who was in the fight, which was going to spark them. I mean, that was no more uh, a fight that would spark somebody than fly to the moon, as far as I'm concerned. It was ill-timed. And he didn't do particularly well. It wasn't like when Ty Domi grabbed the guy and put the boots to him or Wendell Clark at 175 pounds grabbed the guy and beat the living snot out of him to turn the game around. So if you're not going to do that, don't even bother having the scrap. But the lesson they got to learn is that you're good enough, but you got to crank it up. Just playing ordinary hockey. Nobody in the league is good enough to play ordinary hockey, catch up against anybody. Ottawa, especially Winnipeg, who are a pretty good hockey club, and win. So that's what they should take out of that. But isn't that the exact same thing that we've been saying about them for the last number of years? And it was the thing that when you brought in Thornton and Wayne Simmons and TJ Brody and John Tavares and all these guys, this was supposed to be the the vet. These were the veterans that were going to beat that out of you by not letting that happen. This has been the exact same story now for years. Well, I agree. And, uh, first of all, they didn't have Wayne Simmons and he's not Wayne Gretzky, he's Wayne Simmons, but you can, pardon me. There is, there is some examples that have to be set. The problem is that the guys that have to set those examples aren't kids. Joe Thornton gets exposed by his age because they're playing an awful lot of hockey in a short period of time. And so when your leaders are a little long in the tooth, it's harder for them to bring it that night and pick it up for you. They can in game one. They probably can in game two. But in game three or four, they're in trouble. I mean, the, Winnipeg came in. I was thinking about this before that series started. Winnipeg's got to be going. We're going right into Toronto. If we can grab four out of six points and get us two points closer before we leave, I would deem that pretty successful on the road. They got five out of six points. That's the part that would send me cuckoo. And then they're tired and they go in and Ottawa have their way with them. I mean, it was unbelievable. And now they, and, and, and the goaltender for Ottawa barely beat you out of a job as the backup. Yeah. Well, that's the part. I think when you talk about Leaf fans and, and heaven knows Leaf fans, uh, are not exactly always on, at least on social media, the most stable people. I mean, it is a roller coaster of every win is the greatest thing ever and every loss is the most devastating thing ever. But I'll tell you, if there's one thing that drives Leaf fans insane right now, it's that I don't think that there is a Leaf fan out there who has a great deal of trust that the goaltending for this team can win them anything. And I mean, certainly Frederick Anderson has not won a playoff series for the Leafs. Um, 
there seems to be, and I don't want to overstate this because I think, you know, there are times when he's been excellent, but there seems to be very often a goal in many games where you say he can be playing great and then he'll give up one weird goal and he'll be great the rest of the game, but man, get rid of that one goal and suddenly you're onto something, but they're just, I don't know how this team can have a lot of confidence night after night in knowing what kind of goaltending it's going to get. Oh, I don't disagree. I mean, when Carey Price is on top of his game, you, you know, that the Montreal Canadian, any, any, a great goaltender in the league. Uh, but I like Winnipeg's goaltender. Um, but any of the great goaltenders, they don't give up that one. You very seldom with the really good ones say they'd like to have that one back. You know, like you can count on one hand during a season when guys like Carey Price give up a goal, you're going, that one right through him, which seems impossible. It's an impossible statement. But, you know, how'd that get through him? You're right, with Anderson and with the Leafs, there are far too many of them, and Hutchison, you know, whiffed on two. And he's playing well for them. He got a shutout for them in his last appearance or second last appearance. But you're right, they don't have that stability, uh, I don't think, in their mind that Anderson is going to save them no matter what. And... That's a brilliant thing to have. Marty Brodeur gave his teams that. Uh, Hua did it. Uh, and a number of great goaltenders have done that. You're down 3-1. You know he can shut the door, so let's get going. And I'm not sure Anderson brings that. I'm not sure Anderson can't win him a couple rounds in the playoffs. I'm not sure Anderson isn't capable of winning a Stanley Cup. But if they win a Stanley Cup, it won't be on his shoulders. Well, he goes, he goes in these stretches where he is truly fantastic. The problem is, is the consistency is then there's stretches where it's like this and, and you know, Don, I mean, you're going to be playing if you're the Leafs and you are hoping to get advancing far in the playoffs, you're going to have to win two series against teams in this Canadian division. Now we know that Ottawa is not going to be in the playoffs and we're pretty sure Vancouver is not going to be in the playoffs. But out of that leaves uh, Montreal with Carey Price. That leaves Calgary with what's his name, uh, whose name is eluding me, who came from Vancouver last year. They signed as the big free agent. Um, Edmonton, which may be the question mark. And um, who am I leaving out here? And Winnipeg. Who of those teams will Frederick Anderson be the better goalie on the ice then right off the bat? And I would argue maybe Edmonton, maybe. But I, I, I mean, I think Edmonton, most nights, most nights, he's the second best goalie on the ice, and that's a bad place to be. Yeah, it is. And Calgary also have a, a veteran coach now that will make them accountable. I think that Calgary just got an awful lot better. I mean, I know they're recycling Sutter, but um, you're right. Edmonton doesn't have the goaltending they need clearly, and haven't had it since Connor McDavid got there, arguably. I mean, uh, oh boy, the kid's name just escaped me. The kid from Caledonia. Uh, Cam Talbot. Had, had signs of being a premier goaltender, but, you know, it was flashes, not Patrick Law flashes. So, I mean, he did a great job for them, but they, they bail on their goaltenders because their defense is porous. So it's maybe not goaltending as much as his defense, but you're right. If they enter the playoffs, Without uh, Vancouver and Ottawa, they probably go in with, at best, a 
tie for second in goaltending and uh, leaving Edmonton behind a little bit. So they're going to have to be good. They're going to have to be very disciplined defensively. And when they get away from that, and players hate hearing this, and I'm telling you, it's an absolute fact. The harder you work defensively, the more opportunities you get in the other guy's zone because you're not giving anything up. But try and drill that into players' heads. I mean, guys are thoroughbreds, just want to go. They say, you know what, I if I don't pack check, if I don't do my job, that's fine. I'm going to get two. And those kind of guys you can't win with because they'll get two, but they'll be minus one at the end of the night, and you can't win that way. So they've... They've got to pick it up a notch, but they, they're going to have to play. They're going to have to shut guys down defensively to give Anderson a shot. And that's Keith's job to see if he can buy, get them to buy into it. I think they will. I think, uh, I think uh, Austin Matthews game has come a long way defensively. Uh, Marner's was good and is better and they need that kind of thing. thing. Thornton will be all right. Uh, Tavares will be fine. The other ones will buy into it. And that'll make Anderson a better goaltender. I don't know if it wins him a Stanley Cup. But I well, said, what? When you, before it all started, you asked me who would end up first in the North Division. I said Toronto, and I still believe that. Well, there's one other thing here that shows something. Uh, when As soon as Austin Matthews' wrist got injured, the Leafs began to sag, and it shows you how different that team is without their superstar. I mean, he's playing but it's pretty clear that he can't really shoot. They don't even have him in a position where they're asking him to shoot right now. And all of a sudden, a lot of the stuff that you built your team around, you know, the fear of that shot and all those kind of things, that, that's gone now for a lot of teams at the moment anyway. It, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting time. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I don't think they've been exposed. I think they're in a real tough spot here, either from fatigue or injuries or just being needing a break. But the they come out of this... This weekend, they play Calgary, and you say with Sutter now coaching, they play two games against a Calgary team that's playing very well. Uh, the panic in Leafland, if they were to lose both those games, will go through the roof. They, they, they got to they gotta find a way to win at least one of those things because uh, otherwise they better not read the internet or listen to the radio or watch TV for the next week or so because uh, it, it'll be um, <clears throat> hair on fire. But here's today's sports, Scott. Everybody knows we're talking about it. You pointed it out. Austin Matthews can't shoot uh, like he has been able to due to a wrist injury. Teams can totally readapt against their power play almost instantaneously. So you don't have to pay near the attention to Matthews when he gets in a shooting spot because he's likely going to pass. That totally changes how you defend against the Toronto Maple Leafs when you take away their greatest scoring threat because you've got um, uh, Jumbo Joe and you got Marner that can get the biscuit to him through seemingly uh, a straw to put it on his stick. That threat's almost gone. That really changes the dynamic of how you defend against a team on the power play. And th- when you say, have they been exposed? Well, that's been picked up immediately. That will change dramatically. And when that changes, the other guys can score. So other teams adapt pretty quickly. And they're, you know, as soon as they see a weakness, boy, they jump on it. They're relentless. They're not trying to help Toronto. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
We heard there was a, um, Doug Ford was on a London radio station, our, our sister station in London the other day, and he was talking about the OHL coming back and made the comment that when it comes back, they will be, the government will be there with some financial help for the OHL. Now we don't know the OHL is coming back. We know they're working at trying to figure something out for this year, but it raised a debate about whether or not government should be giving money to sports associations. And it's a debate. I wrote about it in the paper and it's a debate that I've had a lot of response to some people saying not a chance in the world should sports organizations get money because they're not, not for profit. They are a for-profit organization and therefore they should be eliminated from contention. They have, we have, I've heard people say they already get lots of money because we give them grants and breaks on arena costs and field costs and everything else. So that money has already been paid. We know that the government has given money in under the same ministry of heritage, sports, tourism, and cultural industries, I believe is the name of it to museums and art galleries and orchestras and things. Should the government and again, we're talking about COVID here, just to be clear. Should the government be giving money to sports organizations that have been affected by COVID? Well, I, I think in the spirit of fairness, yes. Um, the, uh, the comments and, and the feedback you've got that they are for-profit organizations is true, but foolhardy. So, so is Fortino's. So are a number of other operations, and there are thousands of them that have had their wage subsidized. They've been offered grants partially forgivable. So to say that you eliminate sports because it's sports is absolutely ridiculous and should be well thought out before, before you even take much consideration in to the people that are delivering those comments. It's foolhardy. Now, sports is entertainment. Sure, it's fun. I think it used, I don't forget the term it used to be in a newspaper, but it was kind of like the playroom of the newspaper, right? Because it was sports and everything. Yeah, the toy else. department. But the reality is, what's that? The toy department. Okay. So, but, you know, I mean, you can, you can, you can make some fun of it, but it also provides tremendous um, enjoyment. It provides a release for a lot of people that have been cooped up. And, you know, they do a good job. Now, do you subsidize um, minor baseball? I don't know how far down the ladder it goes, but the OHL are an industry um, like the farming industry is, and they've all been subsidized. We're not talking about normal times here. We're talking about a pandemic that our generation has never had to live through or witness before in their entire life. Now, if, if, if you look at it and say, are the options are that we may lose some of these things and how many people are out of work because of these? I mean, you've got people that sell popcorn and pop and concession stands. You've got ushers, timekeepers. I mean, the OHL is a business. The Allen Cup Hockey League that the Real McCoys play in and the Hamilton Steelhawks play in, you know, that's a hobby. Is it expensive? Yes. The Hamilton Steelhawks and the Dundas Real McCoys lost close to $75,000 by virtue of the Allen Cup in on uh, funds that we can't recoup because of the pandemic. But the OHL is a different kettle of fish. Should we be subsidized? Of course we should. But only for losses, not to add the profits. 
But I think it's silly to not do it when they've done it with almost every other sector in the province to subsidize their wages and rent by 75%. I mean, I'm a landlord. I mean, that's been required to keep these things afloat, but to eliminate and discriminate against the OHL and other, other organizations that have physically lost money, I think is just wrong. There, it's a, no, and, and you know, one of the things you said, we only have a minute here, but the one of the things you said is when you said you don't know how far down it should trickle down for minor sports, there are those who would say, no, it should go the other way, that it should be, we don't know how far up it should trickle up because minor sports and kids and everything else should get it, but not necessarily adult sports. Um, again, we, we certainly understand that the adult sports, the leagues, they're the ones that cost money. And and here's what I find, there seems to be a difficulty or a, or a, a, a blockage, a ch- I don't know what the right word is here. People seem, those who are against it seem to be locked up with the million dollar contracts. And I would agree with those people that I don't think that the government should be on the hook to be paying Austin Matthews $13 million contract. Uh, and I, I just don't think that that should be something. I, I think he's going to be just fine. And I think the Leafs are going to be just fine. But it's a lot of the other leagues that I look at and I think, y- you know what, it's it's easy to say don't give sports any money, and I'm with you on this one. I, I think that there's very little difference between sports and an art gallery. Of course, different stylistically, but as far as what they do and what they serve and who they serve and how they contribute to the culture and society, I I don't see a huge difference. And again, some of the critics are right when they say some of them are not for profit. To that, I think, and you're the guy who would speak to this, uh, I would argue that there's probably not a lot, if any, teams in this city right now that have made a profit because the leagues are not designed to. They just, they can't in, in a lot of these leagues. Well, no, and and the difference between the Art Gallery and the Hamilton Bulldogs patrons is what do I want to go and watch and what, what do I enjoy watching and what is my pastime? So I don't think you can categorize it, but um, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm sure the Hamilton, I'm going I'm to assume with tremendous certainty that the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Hamilton Ticots, and the Hamilton Bulldogs have all been subsidized by the government on a salary basis. And, and well, they should because they're a business. Now, the CFL is in a bit of a pickle because the NBA and the Leafs haven't got any, to my knowledge, any formal funding from a government. They're big business. The CFL's far different. The OHL's far different. Um, but the OHL is, um, they don't pay their athletes to play the game. They provide education for them. But it's, it's not pro sports. And I think if you're going to subsidize um, the art gallery, just because the patrons are different, I think that's probably an error in judgment. And there'll be a number of people that will call me out on that because they love the art gallery and don't care about the Hamilton Bulldogs. And there will be people that say, right on, because they love the Hamilton Bulldogs. But you have to look at the broad specter of things and put it in perspective. And for those that don't, shame on them. Yeah, we got to run. But I, And for the record, um, when I wrote what I wrote, and, and you know, even now, 
I'm in favor under the circumstances. If you were going, I, I'm not against art galleries and museums and stuff receiving some money to stay afloat. They provide something valuable to our culture. Under normal circumstances, it's a different discussion, perhaps. But under these circumstances, if you're giving money everywhere else, I can see the value in those places getting something to keep them going. But if you're going to do that, then it seems unreasonable to then start picking and choosing which cultural things you're going to say is valuable enough to get some money from the government. Once you've opened those purse strings, if you've decided that's the way to go, it seems like you got to do it for everyone equally because everyone is hurting right now. Anyway, a discussion to continue another day. Don Robertson, always appreciate you doing this on Monday evenings. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Scott. Enjoyed it. Have a good night. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.